Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews. Hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? And welcome. This is episode 25. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Now it's the calm before the storm, as we just recently had a tease with a few college football games. But now the real fun begins as the college football season is about to officially kick off. And what better way to celebrate the 2017 season than with our guest this episode, and that's Peter Burns of ESPN's SEC Network and host of SEC Now. Now, there's a lot to get to in this episode, but first, just let me remind everyone that anything you need to find out about the podcast can be found on the website, richtakeonsports.com. You can find previous episodes there, and you can also subscribe directly from there on either Apple Podcast, Google Play, or Stitcher. And I'm also excited to let everyone know that the podcast was just formally accepted on iHeartRadio. So just another opportunity and avenue of listening. And all you have to do is go to the search option on iHeartRadio, type in Rich Take on Sports, and you'll find the podcast there. So I'm excited about that. And also, of course, I welcome any opportunity to connect, engage with any of the listeners. So please follow on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. And I do promote audible.com because I do like listening to books. And one of the books that I'm listening to right now is the Jay Billis book that he wrote a few years ago. It's called Toughness, Developing True Strength on and Off the Court. And I thoroughly enjoy this book. I just recently interviewed Jay, and I'm excited for that uh, upcoming episode. So this is almost a preview. If you want to learn a little bit more about Jay Billis, which I know many of you already know, I mean, he's the college basketball expert, but this book just talks about toughness beyond a sports aspect. It's really talking talking about toughness in people's life and in their careers, uh, again, outside of sports. And I think you'll really enjoy it. And if you do like an audio book, go to audible.com slash rich take on sports and you can get a free audio book and 30 day free trial. But regardless, either audio or actually having a hard copy, you will thoroughly enjoy that book by Jay Billis. And again, I'm really excited about releasing the uh, interview with Jay Billis as you get to learn a little bit more about his story growing up in Southern California before he got to Duke. And speaking of Southern California, stay tuned after our time with Peter Burns, and I'll share with you my experience from a family vacation out in California, and also some of my thoughts regarding the Conor McGregor-Floyd Mayweather fight, which I knew grew a lot of excitement. But for now, let's jump right into the Rich Spotlight. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight. Peter Burns is no stranger to college football as he joined the SEC Network on ESPN as a studio host in August of 2014 and has been the regular host of the show SEC Now. Now, prior to joining the SEC Network, Peter was the host of the Press Box on Mile High Sports Radio based in Denver, Colorado. And before moving to Denver, Peter was the co-host for Fox Fantasy Freaks on Fox Sports Radio, and it turned into a three-hour year-round program that was syndicated to over 100 cities nationwide. Now, Peter started his career in 2005 and has been a guest regularly on ESPN, ESPN2, MSNBC, and Fox News. Now, one One of the things that happened earlier this summer is that Peter and his wife used Pebble Beach Golf Course as the backdrop for their gender reveal for their upcoming birth of their first child. And as Peter teed off at the picturesque par 3 7T, he hit an exploding golf ball that revealed the baby's gender, which was a girl. So one of the first things that I asked Peter is, what's life like right now getting ready to be a parent? 
Yeah, uh, it was a couple of days ago. I, I, I was upstairs in, the, in the, the baby's nursery. She's due October 21st. And I, I put together the crib and me and my wife just kind of take a step back. And we're like, wow, this is uh, this is happening. And not only is it happening, it's happening in probably the busiest time of year uh, for me over at the SEC Network, which is which is college football season. You know, uh, we, it was so funny whenever we got the uh, the uh, whenever we found out she was pregnant, we're like, I guarantee you it's going to be on a college football Saturday. And sure enough, the due date comes back uh, 10 21, which in, in my mind is LSU Ole Miss weekend, but in my wife's mind, it's Alabama Tennessee weekend. So you can tell <laughs> we're a house divided here in the Burns family. Now, wh- how's it going to be in terms of where your daughter's allegiance is going to go? Uh, so I was, I, we've talked about that. And literally at one point, we always kind of joke around, oh, she's going to go to LSU. No, she's going to go to Alabama. And then we literally had to have a talk not too long ago. Just go, Hey, listen, like, I don't want you pulling against my team and I'm not going to pull and I'm not, we're not going to teach our daughter to pull against your team. So we had to, I mean, this is, this is like life in the sec that these conversations had to be had. So, you know, I'm born and raised in Baton Rouge. I'm an LSU fan. She's uh, her uncle was a hall of famer and, and played for Alabama. So that's where her allegiances lie. So I said, you know, what's going to happen is we're going to want her to go to either LSU or Alabama. And she's probably going to be tall and play volleyball for Auburn and upset us both. So <laughs> who, who knows? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of growing up in Baton Rouge, describe just your earliest memory of the sports and why you gravitated towards sports. Yeah, I think the first thing I can ever remember is being, I want to say maybe, you know, five or six years old. My my dad's a cancer survivor. And so he didn't get to go to college until a little bit later. And so he was going to college right when I was a couple of years old. So I think my first um, real memories ever of sports are going in and walking inside a Tiger Stadium. I can remember just kind of walking into the lower level because he got student tickets at that point. I was, I think, six, seven years old. And so we got to sit in the student section at LSU game. So we walk in and, you know, I can just, I, I still remember this day, like the, the stadium opening up and thinking, Oh my God, like there's, oh, there must be a million people in this stadium and it's loud and people are yelling. And, and I just fell in love with it from right there. And I can remember my dad telling me vividly saying, now we're going to sit in this little area and you're going to hear words that you're not allowed to say at home. So yeah, that that was kind of the craziest first memory that I ended up having is uh, kind of along those lines is of realizing, my goodness, this is uh, these are words that are being said at this college football game that I'm not going to be able to say, uh, you know, any any other place. <laughs> now, did you immediately become a fan of football and want to play football or other sports? How did that come about? Yeah, I, I played everything growing up. I actually, I was, it was kind of, it worked great for me because I, I was a real fast grower, man. You know, like I was really kind of um, athletic and coordinated and, and tall at a young age. So I was pretty good at baseball, pretty good at basketball, pretty good at kind of everything that I played. So I was lucky enough to kind of play a little bit of everything. And so, yeah, I mean, if it was, LSU baseball game, I went to it. If it was LSU basketball game, I went to it. If it was football, we went to it. We went to every single uh, sport. So, uh, yeah, I kind of always loved it. And, I mean, from broadcasting, I can remember, you know, I used to play this computer game called, gosh, way back in the day, Earl Weaver Baseball. And, I mean, I was telling the story a couple of days ago to somebody that after every one of these computer games that you'd play, I would have the old dot matrix printer, and I would print out the box score and, you know, I would highlight like who had good games, you know, I mean, it was just crazy that I would do that. And then I can remember, I'd always have to take a shower before dinner and to get ready for dinner. And I would play one last game. I'd get in the shower and I would do like a post-game press conference in there as if I was one of the players <laughs> that had just played in the video game. It was, it's, it's so stupid, but it, I go back and remember that I used to do that all the time. Oh, that is fantastic. Now, how did you gravitate more towards golf though? So basically what had ended up happening is that after about, my goodness, after a couple of years, finally, I realized that I was not continuing to grow. You know, I was probably going to be just tall and skinny for the rest of my life. And so basically it was about eighth grade that I was, I was playing golf early at like probably age 10. And then, but by eighth grade, my dad was like, here's the thing. It was like, you could be good, possibly play college baseball you probably can't play college basketball. If you want to play 
in, in college in a sport, you need to, you probably need to pick either it's going to be baseball or, or golf. And I just love golf. Um, you know, the guys are already getting bigger and stronger than me on the baseball field and thought, Hey, you know what? I, I tend to be pretty decent at golf. So that's how I, um, I was just so competitive. I always wanted to win at everything that, um, you know, decided to go to golf path. And how was the path to get to St. Mary's in terms of you grew up such a big LSU fan? Yeah, uh, because I wasn't good enough to play for LSU. <laughs> it's basically what had happened. Um, I went to, you know, I won a state championship my senior year in, in Texas, which is saying something because we have a lot of a lot of great golfers that come from that state. We were in the highest class division, 5A. And, but I just wasn't recruited early. And I was good, but not great. And SEC golf, those teams are pretty much traditionally great. You've got to be really, really good. And so I tried to walk on or I, I you know, kept getting in touch with the LSU coach and I wouldn't even get a call back or an email back or I, heck, I think at that point it was just a letter back. I don't think we even had email. And um, so I played golf my first two years at the University of Texas, San Antonio. We're uh, the fighting roadrunners over there and had a blast. And then after about two years, I was having way too much fun. And my parents looked at me and they're like, you know what, maybe it's time for you to go, you know, to a different spot. So um, there's a small private university, great school in St. Uh, called St. Mary's university in San Antonio and uh, really prestigious. So they had a, a spot for me. I got a full ride there and that's where I played my last two years. And that's where I graduated from. Now you had moved from Baton Rouge to Texas. Was that in middle school or high school? When was that move? Yeah, that was, that was in, gosh, I want to say probably maybe like third, probably about fourth, fifth grade. I think that's what it was. So we went from Baton Rouge to Sherman, Texas, to Abilene, Texas, to San Antonio, Texas, to Kingwood, Texas, to San Antonio, to Corpus Christi, back to San Antonio. It was my dad and mom were in the gas and oil industry. Yeah. So we were like a, uh, we were like in the air force basically, but we were in the gas and oil industry. So we just moved around a ton. How difficult was that making the transition to new towns like that and having to make new friends each and every time. Yeah, it was tough at first, but then what I realized is every time you went to a new place, it was a new opportunity to invent yourself. You know, Hey, if you just didn't like what you, you know, what, what happened at the last city or, you know, if you didn't have the the friends, you could be a different person. And, um, and I think it was great for me because it made me learn, Hey, you know, you, you, you have to understand look, no different in life right now that when you get into new circles and new spheres that, you know, you kind of take your time, you kind of, you know, it's like a chess game. You kind of look at everything that's happening and then you decide, you know, who you're friends with and what route you want to go rather than just kind of jumping into it. And it, and it helped become, you know, I, I, I hope a little bit more outgoing and friendly because, Hey, when you're a new kid in town, especially when you're young, there's a lot of little clicks and a lot of people don't think it's too cool or whatever, but um, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to, to kind of reinvent yourself and find new friends every couple of years. Now, was there at a particular time that you realized you wanted to focus on sports being part of your career once you were done playing golf? No. I mean, what's crazy is, you know, I got a degree in English and business communications, mostly because I wanted to get into either marketing or PR and kind of the business aspect of it. And, um, I had been working kind of part-time in the gas and oil industry, uh, my senior year of college. Uh, my dad knew some, one of the managers that needed, needed some help on some projects. So I started doing that. And then it kind of, you know, I succeeded on that a little bit, luckily. And I ended up getting a job right out of college. And I mean, I was making $40,000 a year as a, you know, 21 year old, I thought I was a millionaire. You know, <laughs> yes. I was like, Oh my gosh, like I get this check every one, every weekend, or, you know, I, I got paid weekly and I was like, I'm getting a check after taxes for like $700. Like I'm rich. <laughs> this is amazing. So, so yeah, so I did that right after college and a lot of it was, I mean, I used to do a database management. I would do these projects where I'd go to the gas and oil industries and I put in all of this paperwork that they used to have and turn it into an automated system to where, Hey, once a year, they need to make sure they check this valve and here's how you document it. I mean, it's, it, I, I loved it cause it was problem solving, but I realized I'm like, do I really want to do this the rest of my life? So I started driving. I had to drive from, you know, plant to facility in South Texas and Alabama, Louisiana and all these areas. So I started getting bored just listening to the same music. So I started listening to sports talk radio and there was a, um, a show in sports talk radio with Tony Bruno and Andrew Siciliano. It was on uh, Fox sports radio. 
And so they had a contest one day to would call be Andrew for a day. So basically it was a contest to be a host for a day. Andrew Siciliano, who's now with the NFL network, I ended up winning it. And sure enough, went to Los Angeles, hosted for a day, thought it was the greatest thing ever. I came back the next day to the sports talk radio station in San Antonio. Cause that's where I was living at the time and met with them. And I said, Hey, listen, I was just on radio yesterday. I think it's the coolest thing. I'll do anything for a job. What do you have? And, um, they came to me and said, all right, well, we don't have any on air. You can't just get an on air job. Um, here's a, if you, if you want to work for us, here's a telephone, uh, you know, a, um, a telephone book. Here's a uh, little cube. Go learn how to sell advertising and find us back in two weeks. And we'll see if you're still employed. So I quit my job at my job at the gas and oil industry and, uh, learn how to sell advertising by, uh, by the grace of who knows how. <laughs> wow. And that led to then eventually you getting on the air? Yeah. So started doing that. So sold advertising. And after about three, four months, they realized I was, you know, Hey, I was serious about this. And I befriended the program director who said, all right, I know this is what you want to do. This is, this is a lot harder than people think. And so sure enough, what I ended up doing is he's like, all right, well, I'll put you, you know, how about you and I will do a fun little show at, Sunday morning at 7 a.m. So basically no one was listening, right? Like, you know, it's just a throwaway show. So we did that. I can remember my first show ever. You know, I'm so excited. I'm so nervous. I've done 15 hours of prep just for one, you know, I think it was a one-hour show. And we get in and I mean, boom, I hit the ground running. I'm, I've got, I'm just killing it. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing. And I use all of my information, all of my material. And I look up and I'm like, we still have 54 minutes left in this show. <laughs> I have no idea what else to say. And like a panic stir crept across me. So, uh, you know, yeah, it was, uh, that, that was kind of how it started and, and it kind of grew from there. Yeah. So the passion was there. And then where does it go from there? What's the next step for you? Yeah. So just started doing weekend shows, you know, and then probably about a year into it, I, I finally had an opportunity to fill in on one of the drive time shows and, and didn't completely puke all over myself. So that was good. And then, and basically what it ended up happening is the business aspect of it. That's why I give so many people, you know, I give them the advice that if they want to get into sports radio or sports media. What they got to do is they got to learn the business first because, what had happened is that we were just running nationally syndicated radio in the morning because it was easy, right? We didn't have to pay a host uh, in San Antonio. So we were just running Fox Sports Radio. And they, at the time, Fox Sports Radio had, I can't remember even what show it was on, but it was not very good. So I went to our, our uh, program director, you know, knowing the business of it. And I said, how about this? Like, I will do a show for free. And all you have to do is give me two minutes of the inventory that we're not selling. Cause I knew that we weren't selling all of our inventory in the morning. Like just give me two minutes of commercials. I'll sell them on my own. That'll pay my salary and let's have a local show. And sure enough, he, he, he fell for the wild idea. And, uh, we started a, a morning show in San Antonio and, um, it became pretty lucrative because, you know, we weren't selling all that advertising that I was selling it and I got to keep it myself. So I probably made more, selling the advertising of that show and keeping it in my pocket than getting a, a salary from the station. And uh, it grew from there. And then a um, couple, I actually right when we launched that Fox sports radio, the guy that used to, the guy that I originally met when I won that, that contest, he was now running Fox sports radio. And he says, Hey, why don't you come do a weekend show nationally as well? So I had no idea what I was doing. I was in way over my head doing a local show and a, and a national show on the weekend. Getting a national sh show like that, what type of preparation did you do? I know you had mentioned for that one particular one hour show, you, you felt like you put in 15 hours. So what is typical preparation for you for a national show like that? It was just at that point, it was just consume everything and anything. And honestly, it was almost as if I was too... I mean, I think that I think that happens to some college coaches, and I understand it now too. That I think some people are over prepared, and I literally had too much information in front of me. I mean, I had, I knew every single schedule, I knew every single free agent, I knew every single this, 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 and I'm thinking, um, all right. And, and and when it came down to it, I'm like, I got to make sure I get all into this. You know, I got to get every single stat, every single this. Uh, every single bit of information or else they're going to find me out to be a fraud. I mean, that, basically that's what had happened when I got the national and local show. I'm like, people, 
like, this is a big deal and I have no business doing this job whatsoever. And so I just tried to fake it as much. And, 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 you know, I was so afraid that people were going to realize, Hey, this is, this guy has no business doing this job. (laughs) (laughs) So a little bit of you're motivated by, I shouldn't say fear, but you didn't want to have people think, you know, Oh, it was absolutely fear. It was absolutely, I didn't want there to be, uh, I didn't want to be the boom goes the dynamite guy. I didn't want to be, I mean, it, it was, it was one of those things where I was deathly afraid that there was going to be an audio clip of me going, is this the worst sports talk host ever? Or like, I could see it being like, so-and-so gets fired after their first show. And I literally would think that for at least the first, after every show for the first year of doing a local daily show and a, and a weekend national show is like, I'm sure they're going to call me after this show and tell me I'm never coming back again. And like, it was always that fear that was the motivator to go over and beyond for my show prep and, and be prepared for it. Now you have had some setbacks in personal situations in, in your life and you've documented that on a Facebook post. And why were you compelled that day to post your feelings for everybody to see? Yeah, it was a blog. It was a, a Facebook post that I wrote. Now I, 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 it's basically, I think I want to say kind of in, in early January, I, you know, I, I logged into Facebook one day and, you know, Facebook has this deal where they have, um, they show you your memories from that, you know, that specific day, years in the past. I said, okay, well, this is kind of cool. And I go through and I remember seeing one of them and all it was was a bunch of messages from people saying, Hey, so sorry that you're no longer, you know, that you had gotten fired. And I got fired from sports talk radio because, you know, as this journey went, I started having more and more success selling advertising. So I was making a lot of money. I was single uh, and enjoying that life. And then I was on air and, and the show was going, okay, pretty good. But I got really, really cocky. And basically uh, Ticket 760 in San Antonio and Claire Channel said, you know what? We're just done dealing with you. I don't care that you're doing well on business. I don't care that the show's pretty good. We're just sick and tired of having to deal with Peter Burns, the human. And, uh, and rightfully so. Like I needed that. I was, I was not a disaster. I mean, I wasn't a mean person. I just didn't think that any of the rules applied to me. And so they fired me. So I saw that notification, you know, and here I am as the anchor of the SEC network going, my goodness, like, I thought, I thought my life was over when that happened. And so I just started writing, you know, I I don't know why I wrote it. I don't know. It was kind of just one of those things where I'm just going to put everything out there, probably not even going to post it. Just, it was kind of cathartic because I was off that day and I ended up putting it out there and I, I could not believe how many people still to this day, I was just at the college football seminar and I had, you know, six or seven people come up to me that I've never met um, that are just like, Hey, you don't know me, but I read your blog post and it, and it, and it really spoke to me. And I think that's, um, that's the ultimate compliment. Uh, without a doubt. I know it was definitely impactful and I've read through some of those conversations that you posted in addition. And I think there's just a feeling of people can relate and they don't feel isolated when you're able to share something like that. So I know it meant a lot to other people that you, know, you were able to share something like that. It's significant to me as well. Just I have personally gone through a tragic situation in terms of a senseless murder. My brother was murdered in 2014, and you had an experience mm. with Jessica Gowie, who was also killed in 2012 at the Aurora, Colorado movie theater shooting. How did that impact your life? Uh, I mean, and I, and I'm curious how it, how it impacted yours. So I want to hear that. I mean, for me, it was because I I you know I had a great relationship with with Jessica. She had moved to Denver because you know she had asked me. I mean, basically, she was kind of a right hand person, and she wanted to get into the industry. So I always kind of felt responsible for her moving over there. But I think for her and how it affected me was that. I looked at it and I'm like, my goodness, this girl was achieving all of her dreams. She had so much to do and something senseless happened, you know, and she was always of the mindset of like, I have no idea what I'm going to do tomorrow. So I'm going to go skydiving tomorrow, or I'm going to go to Michigan, Ohio state, or I'm going to like, she never said no. She's just like, yeah, why not? Let's go do this. And so when I, when that happened, I thought, my goodness, her life was cut so short. But at the same time, she lived so much more than so many people that I knew. You know, a lot of people 
you know, put off, uh, you know, and I'll go do it next year. I don't, I shouldn't probably do this or I shouldn't go chase my dream or I shouldn't do a podcast when I'm not in sports, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. That I realized, Hey, you know what? Let me, you know, I still want to go ahead and, and, and do that. Like I, 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 I want to live every single moment of my life to the fullest. And I did that and it's made all the difference in the, in, in the world for me. So like I said, it was, um, important for me to be able to kind of carry on her legacy. I mean, how, how did it change? You know, how, how did something tragic like that happen and, and, and kind of change your mindset? Yeah, that's a great point. Cause I agree with you. It, it is, um, about, maintaining or moving forward with a legacy, you know, for my brother as well. And I think one of the things that it made me realize exactly what you said is that life is very short and it, we don't live with a crystal ball in front of us and knowing exactly what the outcome is going to be and things can change in an instant. And so I did have that, I wouldn't say midlife crisis per se, but it was that moment of, okay, what do I really want to do? And this sports podcast thing just kept building and building. And finally, the crescendo in 2017, it, it just came about. And the other aspect, Peter, it, what I'd like to hear from you as well, is that for me, it really was a tough period of time for me to actually forgive the person that killed my brother. And that was a very difficult process for me. And it ultimately, I did get, ultimately, I did get to that point and that has actually freed me up more than anything. So have you gone through that type of process with the person who killed Jessica? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost in a weird way. And, and I think everybody handles it different because I, like, I would always hear people say that, like, I had to forgive somebody and I never understood that. I'm like, I would never forgive it. Like if, you, if you're not in the situation, you're like, I, I, there's no way I will live my life with that grudge. But also I felt like for me, I did the same thing or understood it differently because if I still lived with that grudge, it would, it would put me in a bad mindset all my life. And it would always be something that it was always a to do thing would be to have this grudge against this person. And, and it would, it would, you know, prevent me or being one more hurdle I need to get over to accomplish all the things that I wanted. So, you know, at least for me, it was more of, I kind of look at Jessica, not as, as, you know, as just, you know, no longer there. And, and I try to, you know, in a weird way, I've kind of put off what happened in that theater. And I just focused on what I learned from Jessica uh, I mean, to this day, I, I, I'm on every single one of my scripts before a show starts, I write dream job. And it was because she was always talking about wanting to get her dream job. And it was kind of a salute. So I think for me, it was just, how do I say present in the moment and kind of remember her, remember her every single day. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, I can't imagine, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't think I've ever forgiven that person, but I've come, come to understand you know, how, how to deal with it. And I think everybody deals with it a little bit differently. Yeah, they definitely do. And, and every person has to go through their own process uh, without a doubt. You mentioned dream job. Are you in your dream job right now? It, you know, I almost scared to say that. Yes. Be, simply because what's, what's next? Like who, who gets to keep their dream job for a long time, right? Like I always think of a dream job being something that's 10 years down the road. And, and here I am, you know, doing it. You know, I mean, I, I love the SEC. Um, I was always around it. So I'm covering that. I'm one of the anchors that launched the, you know, a, a billion dollar network that was, you know, the largest launch of a uh, cable network ever. And I was one of the three anchors to do it. I mean, it's, I get to do radio. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm respected, I think in our industry, I, I, I'm shocked and I'm scared sometimes that I am doing my dream job because I'm like, you know, I remember this real quick story. Rod Smith, the wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, amazing talent. He was undrafted and became part of the Broncos ring of fame, pretty much a hall of famer. And, but, you know, he showed up as an undrafted free agent, you know, didn't even have a uniform number when he started with them. And I can, he told this story about how every single day after practice, no matter if it was the first day of practice or it was the practice right before the Super Bowl, in which he has an amazing career and game, he thinks he's going to, he, he would always think that after that practice, he was going to come back to the locker room and his locker would be empty. 
that that they would have found him out, that they were like, hey, you, you've been perpetrating this fraud all your life. And he said, it drove me to work harder every single day. And like for me having my dream job, I'm, I go back to the same times when I started Sports Talk Radio thinking every single day they're going to realize that I have no business being here. And so I need to be appreciative of every moment. And, um, you know, you get, you get kind of caught up in the moment of things are good. I know it happened to me once and I got fired. So I never want that. I never want to have to work again. We'll put it that way. You know, and I don't feel like I work in my dream job right now. And so what is a, a typical year for you like? Uh, I mean, do you have a, the summers? Are you off? Because I would have to say I, I, I'm somewhat jealous when I see you on social media playing every different golf course in America, it seems during the summertime. So what, yeah, what, what is your summers like versus your fall it's season? It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, so, so fall, I mean, basically we start up here, like, um, you know, I was surprised going from daily radio to network television, you know, you don't work as much and that, and that's just because you have different shows. And, you know, I remember them thinking, they take a look at my uh, schedule one day and they're like, Hey, you might have to work four days this week. And I'm like, first of all, I love work. So I'm like, I get to work four days a week. This is awesome. Like you're going to put me on television <laughs> for four days a week. This is great. And they were worried that they were going to work me too hard. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's just a different industry that we're in, but we're always working because we're always talking. We're always doing podcasts. We're always doing show prep. So, but um, yeah, I mean, we start with football season, uh, which is obviously very busy for us. Then at the end, basketball season overlaps. So that really gets busy. Um, baseball season is extremely busy. I mean, once March hits, uh, I'm doing spring football. I'm doing baseball games. I'm finish up the basketball season, softball, track. I mean, you know, because we cover it all. So that's busy. And then at the end of the College World Series, we basically are off for about six weeks where we don't have shows. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at that point, we just get out, kind of recharge our batteries. I mean, they kind of encourage us to go out and travel and relax because when you get back in like today, you know, I'm, I got a, I got a staff meeting here in 20 minutes. Like when you get in, you get, you're, you're ready to work. You know, there's no vacation when, when the season comes. So, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a pretty cool gig. We can get it. Now, what do you enjoy more sports talk radio versus being on air TV? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, I, I really, I enjoy the television aspect of it because I'm still learning it. You know, I'm, I was brand new to it. Um, but I, I love a mixture of both. That's why I love when I host the Fine Bomb show. It's really interesting because you're doing both. You know, you get, you get, the, you get the sheer size and gravity of, uh, of being on television. But at the same time, you know, as a coming from my role now as a network host or the, the studio host, I basically, as an anchor, I'm kind of just a setup guy. I'm a traffic cop that, hey, here, you know, here it is, Booker McFarland. Let me know what you think about Alabama football. Or, hey, Marcus Spears, tell me what you think about LSU. And in, in Sports Talk Radio, I get a chance to do that. Um, and so there's a, there's a balance. Sports Talk Radio is real fun because you get to expand you know, your thoughts rather than just being you know, 90 seconds at a time. It's funny. I always realized that sports talk radio guys wanted to do television because they always felt like they wanted to be on TV. And I know now that a lot of TV guys want to do sports talk radio because they're able to have their opinion out there. So it's always, you know, it's a, it's a product of pretty much everybody wants to do something that they, they they're not doing. So uh, yeah. <laughs> that's how the industry works. <laughs> that's right. Now, what about uh, from a particular sport? What do you enjoy covering more basketball, football, baseball, which one? I, I would have thought 99.9% I would love to have said college football. And I, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I actually, you know, this is, this shocks me. I actually enjoy college baseball and even softball as much, if not more. And I would have never thought that. I mean, I, I grew up a baseball fan. I used to collect cards. I love the sport, but there's something about a sport that I feel is still so pure and not big business in SEC baseball, which the fan bases are, they're absolutely in love with. Um, the game is just, the game is the game that I fell in love with, you know, and, and you get to see all these next major league baseball stars. You get to see these guys really um, doing well. And so I, and, and, and I love it. And I, and softball is unbelievable. I mean, to me, I would have never thought in a, 
a million years. If you'd have told me, I bet you $500 that you'll like softball whenever you're this age, I'd be like, give me your $500. But <laughs> the game goes by so quick. They're two hour games. They're bang, bang. It's the, it's basically baseball, but faster and more action. The girls are great. The coaches are great. The fans love the sport. Um, so yeah, I think I'm most surprised that I love SEC softball as much as any, any of the sports that we do, which is uh, even saying it sounds weird. I agree. I am in the same boat in terms of, I cannot believe I was so excited when Clemson university just recently announced that they were going to be fielding a women's softball team. And I was like, it's about time. And I'm like, wait a second. I just said it's about time for women's softball. So, and I think you helped answer one of my questions was going to be, why do you think, you know, women's softball is becoming so popular, but is it true because it's just the speed of the game or the pace of the game, I should say? Yeah. Well, I think it's both. I think it's the speed of the play. I mean, because it's the, you know, the field being the infield being in the, the, I mean, everything happens on a, it's almost like watching a a baseball game at like 1.5 times or or a double speed. You know, it's just, it's just pure, it's just pure baseball basically in a, in a softball fashion. I think the girls, I mean, just to see the athleticism that they have, the power, how fast they are. I mean, you see a hot shot, you know, a, a, a softball grounder come out of third baseman there and they turn a play. It all happens in the span of like maybe a second, you know, and, and that's such a bang, bang play. So, um, yeah, we've enjoyed it. And I think that's the best thing we do at the SEC network. I think we, you know, college football has always been covered, but I think the best thing we do at the network is, is show baseball, show softball, really kind of serve the fans that never, had an opportunity to catch their sports before. And I know it's helped the conference because now a coach can go in front of a recruit and say, Hey, you know, you're going to watch your, your son or daughter is going to be on, on television every single game of their career. That's, that's huge when it comes to recruiting. So with baseball, what can major league baseball do to help improve the fan experience in your opinion? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a shot clock for pitches. I mean, I, I think, um, I, honestly, I think that that has something to do with it. You know, I mean, softball, it's boom, boom, boom. Let's go get them in, get them out. You know, I think the amount of commercial breaks that they take, um, you know, I mean, television money has to pay for it. That's how the players get paid. So, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I know that's tough. I know that college baseball coaches have discussed that, um, that they're in a, they're in not a, not a, big disaster area, but they're really worried right now about, Hey, this younger generation that only has a attention span of 15 seconds because they're on their phone. How are we getting these guys to love a sport that's 60 some games in college and it is, you know, three and a half hour game. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's why softball works so well is, Hey, it's going to be two hours. You're in out, boom, there's a winner. You go. Um, I mean, I've worked six-hour LSU baseball games that went into, or five-hour baseball games that went into uh, extra innings. So that's that's the one thing that they gotta they gotta try to figure out here pretty soon. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm a proponent. I don't know if anybody will ever listen to me, but I think if it's games going into extra innings, just have a home run derby, and that'll be the way to decide it. <laughs> um, it'd be awesome. I'd be fine with that. It'd be, it'd be fun to fun to follow. So. I think so too. Well, as we're wrapping up uh, here, Peter, I just uh, wanted to ask you if you could sum up what has sports meant in your life. I, I think for me, it was, it started being competitive and, and it was something that, Hey, no, it didn't matter if you're black, white, yellow, whatever. It, it just, it, boy or girl, if you can play sports, you, you fit in, you learn your team um, aspects and you learn how to, how to navigate those waters. And I think you, I like for me playing, it was all about work ethic. Like I'm not, I wasn't the most talented golfer, but I, I outworked everybody. I hit more balls. I spent more times putting and chipping and that led to success. And I think, now that I see it, it's a way, it's a way to kind of see the life, you know, in a different way that everybody's competing for different things. And you, and you get, you get really to learn these life lessons when you're doing it in sports media, because you realize so much of what happens on the field is a microcosm of what happens in real life. It's just played in sports. So for me, it's, you know, just meant an, an opportunity to feed my family, to, to have fun while I'm doing it. And, 
and kind of most importantly, to kind of carry on Jessica's legacy. This is, you know, every single day, this is what she wanted to do. And, and, um, and I also am cognizant because of that, of what happened with her, that there are also 5,000 people that would kill for my job every single day. And if I don't go to work and, you know, and bring excitement and, and, and kind of have that Rod Smith mentality that I talked about earlier, that someone's going to take my job. And I, um, I don't want to lose my dream job. You know, it's uh, it's too much fun right now. Yeah, I completely understand. And what about some words of wisdom that has meant a lot to you that you would like to share? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing is life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I always love that. I always love that saying. And, and, and whether it's go travel the world, go launch a podcast when you're not you know, in the sports industry like you've done. You know, I, I think it's just go chase the stuff that you want because you never know. Like, I never want to have a time in my life to where I can sit there and go, gosh, I should have done this. Or like, what, what would have happened had I taken this fork in the road? Um, now, I mean, that doesn't say, hey, go you know, drop all your money tomorrow and go to Vegas and put it all on roulette wheel or anything. I mean, it, there's calculated risks. But, you know, when you get an opportunity go travel. I, I think that's the one thing that's huge for me is that I've learned more kind of traveling the world in, in, in not only saying just yes to traveling and doing it and getting out of my comfort zone, but you, you just learn, you see so much of the world and you get out of our own bubble that, you know, your, your views on politics, your views on life, your views on work ethic, um, it, it's formed that way. So that's, that's probably my, uh, my, my, my biggest, my biggest, um, meandering uh, piece of advice. No, thank you for sharing that. And to finish up here, it's college football time, so we've got to get some early predictions from you, Peter. Who's yeah. going to take the the, uh, the national title, or who's going to be your four teams in the playoff? Yeah, I'll give the, the any time. Who knows what happens for the four teams in the play? I mean, for the national title. But I, I would say that the, my four teams will be Alabama coming out of the SEC. Um, I believe that it will actually be Oklahoma coming out of the big 12, that they'll get in. I think it'll be Ohio state coming out of the big 10. And I believe that it'll be USC in the, um, in the pac 12, the Alabama beats Florida state. I think Auburn can beat, uh, Clemson in the second week of the season. And I think it's the ACC, even though coming off a national championship, that's, uh, that's left out this year. Okay. And so would Oklahoma be your dark horse or is there some other team that you think might sneak up there? Cause not many people have picked Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, I, I just like what Baker Mayfield brings to them. So I, I think that's kind of my dark horse. If I had to go a real, real big dark horse, even though I just said that I didn't think the ACC would get in, but if we said there was some team from out of nowhere, I would probably say, um, I would say one could be Georgia, because uh, if things came together, that could be interesting. But I think most importantly, I think North Carolina State. I think defensively, they're pretty incredible. And so um, I think that that's one of the ones that I, uh, I I will always be looking at, you know, kind of Dave Doring and those guys on defense to see what they can do. Yeah, that would definitely be a, a big dark horse. And Peter, I can't thank you enough for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing you on the SEC Network and also following you on uh, Twitter to see how the rest of the pregnancy goes and how life becomes with you being a dad. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. And uh, keep continuing to uh, chase your dream as well. I think uh, I think it's great when you get when people launch these podcasts and. Uh, This is as good as one as I've ever been on. So I I appreciate you having me on. Now, one of the things that I admire about Peter after spending time with him and hearing his story and especially about his situation in terms of how he actually got fired and it wasn't about his productivity or his ability. It was just that they were tired of his antics and he was able to get into a position of self-reflection and changing his ways and changing his outlook and to a point where he became a better person and just a more likable person. And that takes a lot of courage and a lot of confidence in yourself and the ability to take a step back, be mature about it and understand what was going on and what type of changes you might need to make. And look what he did. He actually might have 
dipped to the bottom, but he climbed right back up. And that's somebody who has toughness, who has character, who has courage, and also the self-confidence to be self-reflective and understanding that I need to change. And he did. You can tell he's in a great place now. He's loving what he's doing. He's got a great wife. They're about to celebrate the birth of their child. And now that he's in a, in a better place, not only is it good for him, but guess who else it's good for? It's good for his wife and ultimately the person that it's going to be the very best for. And that's that little girl that's about to be born in October because now he's in a much better place, much more mature, and he's going to be able to give her the love that she deserves and also to his wife as well. And I'm excited for him being a first-time parent. Hey, I'm excited for him, but I've been there and we're on the other side of the curve in terms of we've got three teenagers, so I'm excited for him, but I I don't need to be back in diapers. There is no question about that. But I'm excited for his path to continue and watching him on the SEC network and all his opinions. And I am still jealous of watching him go play all of these different golf courses for sure. Now, the other thing, my family just recently got back from a vacation. We flew into San Francisco, drove down the Pacific Coast Highway, ended up in Anaheim, and it was an absolutely unbelievable trip. Unfortunately, a portion of the Pacific Coast Highway was closed because of landslides, but we still had an opportunity of seeing some unbelievable views along the coastline and ended up in Anaheim at Disneyland. So the kids were very excited from that standpoint and also went to an Angels baseball game. And you would not believe the difference in terms of one side of the spectrum regarding attendance. Of course, Disneyland jam-packed. Now, the baseball game, not so much. Now, I was expecting some low attendance because it's baseball. There's a ton of games, 162. And I, if you've listened before, you know my position on baseball. Love the sport, but it's growing old on a lot of fans and it's not doing anything to attract new fans. And that's a problem. And it was evident at the game that I went to and the Angels, they're a 500 baseball team. And this night, there might have been 5,000 people there at this stadium. Now, the next day, I looked at the box score. The announced attendance was 35,000 people or 77% to capacity. And I'm not a math major. I'm no engineer. I don't have a science background. But I can tell you that was not 77% to capacity it was absolutely absurd that they announced that type of attendance. Now, I do know that other sports, other arenas, they do the same thing. And it's not necessarily about physical people there. It's about ticket sales. So they're going off of numbers that's based on season ticket holders and not necessarily counting person by person. But my point is, is that... These baseball traditionalists, these diehard fans, they're just getting older and older, and baseball is promoting to them. They're not actually trying to engage this next generation of fans. They're just continuing down this rigid road of this is baseball. We're traditionalists. This is the way it's been done for 100 years, so it has to stay this way because baseball is so pure. Well, it's not going to be that pure when you don't have fans there, and they better do something about it or they're going to be in a world of hurt. Now, an organization that's not in a world of hurt is, at least right now, the pay-per-view people for the McGregor-Mayweather fight and Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. They were the ultimate winners in this whole thing, walking out with so much money. And I have to admit that I had no interest, actually, in watching the fight until my 15-year-old son and... 10 or 12 of his buddies wanted to watch the fight. And so we actually had the fight at our house. They all came over. They threw the money down. So I was the beneficiary. I was like, all right, I'm good. Hey, now I get to watch it. They're paying for it. And from my perspective, I don't understand where everybody thinks this was such a close fight. 
I thought Mayweather dominated the entire fight. The first three rounds was a joke. That was just a chess match, and I don't think anybody necessarily won. I wonder if it was actually even scripted to a certain degree, but there is no doubt that Mayweather dominated that fight and almost toyed with Mayweather. McGregor, in my opinion, and ultimately, just you could see the fatigue, and McGregor had nothing left. The ref might have stopped it a little early, but it was about to happen, so I was okay with it. And again, I think Mayweather dominated this fight, and I'd love to know any of your opinions. So, again, Hit me up on Twitter, at Rich Take Sports, and let me know. Okay, enough about McGregor and Mayweather. Let's continue with this episode and wrap things up with the weekly words of wisdom. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Let's explore the weekly words of wisdom. This episode, the words of wisdom come from Maya Angelou, who is an author, activist, actress, producer. She is a woman of many, many talents and has been defeated, has been knocked down, but also has shown a lot of persistence, a lot of perseverance. And that's what this quote is about. It's about the ability to continue moving forward, even in times when you have been knocked down, because we're all going to face those certain type of defeats in life. And so her quote is all about getting back up. And her quote is, you may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, It may be necessary to encounter the defeats so you can know who you are, what you can rise from, and how you can still come out of it. And so let's all focus on we know we're going to hit tough times in life, but be persistent. Have that perseverance to get back up and continuously moving forward. And no better example than our guest this episode with Peter Burns. He was able to get back up, evolve, reinvent himself, and keep moving forward, being persistent. And so that is the theme, just persistence and perseverance. Now, that's the end of episode 25. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 